I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash spoken today. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. There is the future. I mean, look, if, if we do what we can do in our time, which is establish that first little human settlement on Mars, uh, then, you know, a couple hundred years from now, there will be new nations on Mars. And not just on Mars, but on hundreds of planets orbiting nearby stars. Welcome back to the world of Where's My Jetpack? Back in the 1960s, we were promised everything from jetpacks to flying cars and holidays in space. But here we are in the 21st century with not a jetpack in sight. So what happened to our space age dreams? I'm Sarah Crudus. And I'm Luke Moore. And in each episode, we'll be taking you on a mission to find out by exploring a different futuristic promise that never was, to find out if it was all just science fiction or if these great inventions are either just around the corner or lurking in unexpected places. This is episode seven, Where's My Mars Visit? Mars is not the final destination here, it's just the direction. So to me, Mars is something which has fascinated humans for so, so long. I mean, this is probably the most hospitable place within our, our solar system, a, a place which in the past we believe Mars was much warmer and wetter. There could have even been life on Mars and if we want to uh, you know and if we want to answer profound questions such as why do we exist are we alone in the universe going to Mars could help us potentially find that out so it's a hugely exciting thing for space exploration but all of humanity as well rocky planet check yep water in the past check check can see it from a telescope that you could just buy from Argos technically yes you can check. see it with your, your eyes you don't even need a telescope better with a telescope from Argos though oh uh, marginally yeah. best one of the best David Bowie songs, check. Check, check, it's check. Got everything in the lock of this. And uh, it's exciting to talk about. It's exciting to think because, um, as I'm sure we're going to find out throughout this episode, humans go to uh, the moon in 1969. That is a long time ago now. We would be reasonable to expect that we should have been on Mars. And listen, it's easy for me to say, Sarah, I'm the lazy one. I'm not doing the work. But I'm you want a, it all. You want it yeah, all. Yeah, I'm sitting in the recording studio saying, why haven't people pulled their fingers out and gone to Mars, but I'm not doing anything towards it? Well, that's a good question, and it's something which a lot of people have said with that same attitude, but let's find out what happened in the past. This atomic electric spaceship features a revolutionary new principle that will make possible the long trip to Mars with only a small expenditure of fuel. For centuries, humans have been fascinated by Mars. This unusual ship will be 500 feet across. 
and will carry a small landing craft for the final descent to the Martian surface. By the late 1800s, some astronomers even believed that they had observed canals on the Red Planet built to carry water by an intelligent civilization. The Martian CCs are exactly 10 feet tall. Their favorite culture is music, which they inhale in great quantities through their noses. Then came the great imaginers with terrifying visions of Martians invading Earth. Professor Endelkoffer, speaking at a dinner of the California Astronomical Society, expressed the opinion that the explosions on Mars are undoubtedly nothing more than severe volcanic disturbances on the surface of the planet. And science fiction told us that human visits to Mars were just around the corner. Get your ass to Mars, then go to the Hilton and flash that Brubeck ID at the desk. That's all there's to it. Just do what I tell you. After astronauts walked on the moon, Mars was seen as the next logical step. But by then, robotic craft had started to explore the Red Planet, and some of the great minds of space exploration laid out plans for human missions to Mars. The first stage carries 1,060 tonnes of fuel, and its 29 motors will lift the entire weight of the ship vertically off the ground. But the focus for human exploration instead became about low Earth orbit, and dreams of humans visiting the Red Planet and what they might discover were left to the movie theatres. Wait a moment. Just... Greetings. 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 I am the Martian ambassador. You can understand why quite a few people, including many of the Apollo astronauts, Buzz Aldrin, in fact, you know, second human being to walk on the moon, he's dedicated pretty much his entire life since returning from the moon Mm. to people getting to Mars, to how human beings could get to the Mars, because there's a lot of frustration between those who are part of the Apollo era that we haven't not only been back to the moon, but we haven't been Mm -hmm. to Mars because it felt like the next logical step back in the 1960s and 70s. And here we are in the 21st century and and Mars feels almost further away. Certainly when I was a kid growing up, 2020 was the year human beings were meant to be on Mars Mm. and and that's been and gone. 2020 was, of course, a very, very different year to the one I imagined. That wasn't people's priorities in 2020, was it? No, it really wasn't. But I remember thinking, I was a kid in the 90s, I was like, I'll be in my 30s, I'll be really old in 2020. What were your 30s like, by the way? Oh, (laughs) what were yours like? (laughs) I can't remember mine. Yeah, exactly. But but listen, Sarah, you talked about how it feels almost further away. Of course, it is, I I know you meant that metaphorically, but it, it is further away than the moon. And as we learn on the moon episode, you know, the space race was an outlier, right? It wasn't something, space race shouldn't be seen as something that was the sign of things to come in terms of space um, exploration, because of course, there were other things like the culture war, the cold war, that all kind of fizzled out. And there was no much, there was no more kind of an imperative to do so, or it didn't become a priority for whatever reason. Going to Mars, clearly, is like going to the moon times 100, right? It's harder. It's, it's much harder. I love your analogies. It's it true. feels like a Team America-esque analogy. No, no, it is, it um, is, though, isn't it? Yeah, it takes six months to get to Mars, and obviously... With current tech, it's six months, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, current tech. Um, so why haven't we been there in the past, then? What is the, what, why haven't we been there in yeah, the past? Yeah. Because it, it's a huge feat of technological yeah. and engineering, and it, it's so much more than just getting there. It's having food supplies to get there, because, mm. for example, we... We learnt to live in Earth orbit in, mm. instead of returning to the moon. We haven't been back to the moon since 1972. But we, we learnt how to live in Earth orbit. Astronauts have spent more than a year in space. You know, the, the trips to the moon were very, very short. 
And, and we're learning how to grow crops in space. The answer is it's very difficult to do so. We're mm. learning how the human body can survive because without gravity, you get muscle wastage, bone mm. wastage. It's not very good for us. So the problem is actually humans. It's less so the science. We've sent robots to Mars, mm -hmm. but sending humans there. And then imagine just, you know, looking out your spacecraft window and seeing the Earth getting smaller and smaller and yeah. smaller. So tiny that it becomes like a star in the sky. Yeah. And what, That's terrifying. That, yeah, it is terrifying. So there's, you, there, are, there are so many reasons as to why humans haven't managed to get to Mars just yet. And Dr. Robert Zubrin, he's president of something called the Mars Society. So there's a Great whole job. society. Exactly. Great job. Wouldn't you love that? And actually, I read his book um, called The Case for Mars when I was a kid, and it inspired me about space exploration. Um, but he explains his frustration and also why we haven't been to Mars yet and, and how we could have been to Mars. We should have been on Mars by the 1980s. NASA had plans to do that following Apollo. But uh, we had a tremendous failure of leadership with the Nixon administration. At the same time, they were welcoming the astronauts back from the moon. They were destroying the program. They were shutting down the assembly lines. They literally burnt the blueprints for the Saturn V uh, uh, rocket, or actually they gave them to the Boy Scout paper drive in Huntsville, Alabama. But the... the uh, you know, it's like Columbus coming back from the New World and Ferdinand and Isabella saying, you know, so what? Who cares what you found? Go away. Um, and that's basically what happened. It's an interesting analogy that Columbus won mm. in terms of, you know, governments go first and then private industry follows. Um, obviously, Columbus probably isn't the best example no. here in the 21st century. But, the you know... We could have gone to Mars. When I've worked with Buzz Aldrin, for example, he says, you know, we could have got there by the 1980s if we'd carried on at the same momentum as Apollo. But Apollo, as you mentioned as well, Luke, it wasn't about space exploration. It was about politics as well. It was a yeah. lot of different things. And priorities, you know, and I say this a lot, but if we're going to succeed in space, it has to be for everyone. And the timing wasn't right. There were a lot of problems on Earth that we needed to solve. And we couldn't just keep spending all this money on space exploration. So... With government-funded space exploration, it wasn't right for human beings to go to Mars. Although the, the, the lover of space in me wishes we could have been there by now, because imagine, you know, just imagine looking up and seeing Mars as a star in the night sky yeah. and knowing there are humans there and they can yeah. see you as a star in their night sky and, and knowing that, you know, on Mars, sunsets are blue and, right. and knowing that humans could be seeing that That's blue cool. sunset or the, these dusty storms. And it's, it's awe-inspiring and it would inspire so many people, but it just wasn't right in the past. We, we, we could have done it. But politically, it wasn't right to continue on to Mars. So we could have done it. So there's nothing actually with existing tech that stops us doing it. Because as you say, we sent robots. Apart from ourselves. There. Yeah, yeah, it, sure. It's our bodies. Our so, bodies, okay. So we, we aren't ready to send humans just yet. But if we'd have carried on with that same we kind of like been. momentum of Apollo, yeah. we would have been. And this is something people say across the board. It isn't just Dr. Robert Zubrin's opinion. This is something which is well known within the space industry that we could have got to Mars if we'd have continued in that way. But has it? Is it fair to say that um, as... It's been the case in the past that actually, if you are looking to go to Mars, for example, to find out as much about Mars as you can, it's a much better way to do it to send a robot because yeah. they can they can they're, they're perishable. They are can be a, you can create the size of the robot you want. They can do a lot of different analyses that human beings can't do, uh, and so it, it becomes almost because I know that some people think like sending human beings to or in the past have thought sending human beings to Mars to the moon is almost like an egotistical thing. Whereas actually to send a robot a much more kind of adept um, 
robot that you can design in any way that you want can actually get you a lot better results and get you a lot more information about the science behind it and what you need to know from the planet itself. It is a valid point to some degree that um, and a lot of scientists would say that we should send more robots right. out and, and if we had unlimited budgets, there are so many They can stay there for longer as well, right? They, they, they can and they can't because robots die eventually as well. Um, there's so many other worlds we could explore or if we had the budget to do it and could do it just with robots. So there's a great argument for robots. What I would say, though, is when we come down to size, so the largest thing on Mars um, is the um, Perseverance and the Curiosity um, yeah. rovers, which are about car size. Everything's a car size rover. Right, okay. um, but that's about the limit of what we can land on Mars because right. Mars has, um, although Mars has got a lot of similarities to Earth, Mars is, for all intents and purposes, red and dead, whereas yeah. Earth is flush with life and water and this, this atmosphere which allows us to exist. And Mars has a, a very thin atmosphere, which is hugely complicated for landing big things on the surface. Right. So when you land on Earth, you can have um, heat shields and then a parachute to slow you down. When you land on the moon, you can use retro rockets to, to land on the surface. But Mars has kind of like the worst examples of both. So you need right. a giant parachute, then you need... Um, then you need a heat. You need a heat shield. Sorry. Then you need a giant parachute. Then you need retro rockets. And then for curiosity and perseverance, they actually use a sky crane to lower the robotic craft onto the surface. Right. And then the top, the, the canopy kind of flies off, so it doesn't hit the hit the rover. So it's a huge feat of engineering. It's really complex to land big objects on the surface of Mars, which is also another reason we haven't sent people there just yet. And then on top of that, you've got the time delay. It's a seven-minute delay, roughly, to right. communicate with those rovers on Mars. And because quantum computing hasn't been invented just yet, we we can't replace kind of like the dexterity that human, you know, nothing can replace human eyes and, and human arms and, and, you know, yeah. humans being on that surface. We can, we can sense it with robots, but, and they are, for all intents and purposes, our eyes and ears on another world. But it's not the same as having humans. It's it's not, and I would argue the inspiration to come from seeing humans. I think of the, the people who were inspired by Apollo. They built the modern world of sure. today. Imagine what a Mars landing would do for life back on Earth. So basically that sums up how we got to now. But let's look at what is going on at the moment. We are starting the straighten up and fly right maneuver where the spacecraft will jettison the entry balance masses in preparation for parachute deploy and to roll over to give the radar a better look at the ground. Today, Mars is a planet occupied by robots. We're getting signals from MRO. Tango Delta. Touchdown confirmed. Perseverance safely on the surface of Mars, ready to begin seeking the sands of past life. These robotic explorers effectively act as our eyes and ears. Um, I invite you now to, if you would like to close your eyes and just imagine yourself sitting on the surface of Mars and listening to, to the surroundings. Taking in the blue Martian sunset, the rocky arid landscape and sounds of the wind on this alien world. Yes, what you did here 10 seconds in was an actual wind gust on the surface of Mars, picked up by the microphone, sent back to us here on Earth. So far, they haven't found evidence of past intelligent civilizations, but they have helped us to understand that in the past, Mars was much warmer and wetter. Now, the dark streaks in this image are believed to be liquid and extremely salty water. Researchers have known for years that Mars has frozen water at its poles, but this finding, it's a game changer. And that there could be the conditions for very simple life to exist there even today. Now, water raises hope that the cold, dry, so-called red planet may sustain life. But despite these incredible robotic missions, people are no closer to visiting. 
The journey to Mars for humans is risky and complex. Though a brave and perhaps foolish few have volunteered for a one-way trip. Our astronauts will be selected to cohabitate for the rest of their lives. They'll train for seven years. Everything on how to repair anything that breaks, uh, to take care of medical situations. They will know how to, how to grow their own food. It's very likely impossible for them to ever return to Earth because we don't have the technology to go back. However, none of these proposed human trips to Mars have yet to make it off the ground. For me, it would really change the world. To imagine that we are sitting here and at the same time there's people on Mars, that's really something that would, would mean a step in the evolution of our species. I mean, when we talk about people having a one-way trip to Mars and people volunteering and mm -hmm. Mars One, which are now defunct program, I, you know, that was never going to happen. It courted a lot of publicity. But why I, was it I, never going to happen, Sarah? Sorry, because to they they didn't have the the technology available. It was kind of a, a pie in the eye, pie in the sky idea, I guess. But what yeah. I what I like about this, even though there was a lot wrong with it, is it gets people talking about Mars, and the yeah. more people talk about space exploration and why it matters, the better. But what I love about that is in that package we heard about Perseverance, which is the latest rover to be on the surface of Mars. And, and this is the first time we've spent a spacecraft to Mars to actually, you know, with a mission objective, to actually look for evidence of past life on the planet Mars, which is so game-changing. And I love that. And, and secondary as well, it's got this mission to look at using resources in Mars, in situ resources as we call it, mm. to actually see how humans could potentially use the resources available on Mars to benefit future missions. And then and thirdly, it, it's cacheting samples of the Martian surface to potentially be collected by another mission and brought back to Earth. So we're really kind of like changing the game. And there's a lot of excitement around exploring Mars. And really, that leads us then to sending that human mission there. And so any human mission that's planned would be fully expected to come back as well. Yes, because Mars, Mars One's now defunct. That was that Dutch company that said they would go there one way, and they were bringing these candidates in to potentially go. That kind of got, I mean, as you as you've alluded to, was never really serious. But now, any plans through Elon Musk's SpaceX, as we've heard about a lot on this series, the plan is to bring them back as well. Well, that's always the plan. But you you've got to <clears throat> you you look at it and you think it's six months trip there. You'd spend a year there, and then you come back in six months. And and that's kind of one of the reasons we haven't been to Mars. Is be, well. There's lots of reasons we haven't been, but one is to do with um, politics and obviously mm. presidents. You look at America and you always assumed America would be first on Mars, but presidential terms are only four years. Yeah. The max you can have is eight years. You can't get a Mars mission within that time frame. So mm -hmm. it doesn't, the presidents don't really see the reward. And, and then the second point is government space agencies can't take a risk in a way that private industry actually can. So um, when, when we've seen governments... Um, go to space. We want to preserve life, but it's a different case when it comes to, to private space companies that they're slightly more, uh, slightly less risk adverse. And, and one person who can explain this far better than anyone else is Andy Aldrin, who is, of course, the son of the famed moonwalker Buzz Aldrin. So if the organization is a national space agency, um, particularly one whose prestige is so wrapped up in protecting life and whose value system is so wrapped up in that so an agency like NASA that was so traumatized, and I think justifiably so, by failures that, that, that resulted in the loss of life, they are going to be very, very intolerant of risk. A private citizen like, say, for example, Elon Musk has already said, well, people are going to die. And that's a very, very different risk profile. Reducing risk costs money. And so in a sense, if you, if you accept a lot of risk, you can get there cheaper. 
it'll be interesting to see how that plays. And I don't see NASA or the European Space Agency fundamentally altering their risk profile and accepting a lot more risk of, of loss of life in order to get to Mars faster. Um, and so that may give commercial industry an advantage. But if commercial industry gets there, it's going to be a primarily charitable endeavor that there, it's hard to imagine generating um, economic value out of being on Mars. Other than, you know, I, I, there's a huge amount of value to stepping out on, you know, on the surface of Mars and, and saying Coca-Cola for the right price. It's not like the moon where it's fairly clear that there's there could be economic value. So for those who aren't hugely um, well-versed in space exploration, why is it Mars specifically that's been chosen? Is it because Earth's moon doesn't have that many resources and because the other planets aren't suitable? Well, yeah, our nearest planet to us is actually the planet Venus. You would be crushed within about three seconds of landing on the planet okay. Venus. Would so it you... be a good three seconds? Well, you Terrible. tell me. You Terrible. tell me. We'll send you there. No, thanks. <laughs> so, you, so you don't want to go to Venus. Um, so the next option is Mars. Let, let's throw away the moon because we know the moon is a, a rock. Yes, the moon can tell us very exciting things potentially yeah. about why we exist, how it's formed. But the resources are very low, right? No, it's, it's less to do, you know, we could use the moon as a petrol station. We can use it as a base. We can use it for astronomy and mm. science and also preserve the moon as well. But Mar and Mars is just exciting because it's, it, you know, as we've heard, Mars was much warmer and wetter in the past. Life on Earth could have potentially been seeded by a meteorite from right. Mars. We could all be the Martians yeah. that science fiction is looking for. Yeah. We, and if not, there could have been life on Mars in the past, even if it was very simple life. Yeah. Um, and then we find out that life on Mars is, you know, separate to life on Earth. So we had two separate genesises within our one very average solar system. And mm. you know when you look up at the night sky, yeah. pretty much every star you can see has at least one planet orbiting around it. Yeah. So just extrapolate that. Imagine what yeah. else would be out there. So it changes everything if we find life on Mars. But that's not the only reason we're going. We're going because um, Mars is the, the most hospitable place that humans can go. Of course, we can't breathe in the atmosphere. We'd need spacecraft and we need spacesuits and we need habitats. But it, it's something that could potentially um, be worked with so humans could survive there, one day even thrive there. I mean, you look at movies like The Martian and you can kind of um, see the science fact coming through in that you know, yeah. science fiction um, of what we could potentially do. Obviously, some things were dramatised for Hollywood, so to speak. But... Um, it's just, it's our first step in, in really stepping out to the cosmos and living beyond Earth. And, and why wouldn't you want to explore? Because it's what we as humans do. So, for example, then, if you were looking to go on a holiday, m the moon would be the Isle of Wight and Mars would be LA. I think it's loads yeah. going it's amazing, but it's quite hard to breathe. Let, let's, <laughs> let's go with that analogy. Um, <laughs> I don't know where you get these from. But I love it. Um, one person who, who knows a lot about Mars is my friend, Dr. Tanya Harrison, and she is, she's many things, but I'm going to use my favourite job title for her, okay. which is Professional Martian. Wow. Uh, and she can explain Does she exactly speak our language? I don't know. I don't know. You'll find out. But, but she can explain exactly what it's like on Mars. Mars is harsher than any environment we have on Earth. It's cold at night. The temperatures can plunge to negative 180 degrees Celsius, depending on where you are. Uh, in the daytime, it doesn't necessarily get all that much better unless you're maybe near the equator at summertime. And then you might get up into, say, the teens uh, in the middle of the day. Um, the radiation at the surface is 
not really conducive to long-term habitation, so we would need protection from that. Uh, you would get dust storms every once in a while. Nothing like what we see in The Martian, though, or, or in other movies. They're definitely exaggerated for dramatic effect. It would more be an annoying haze every once in a while of pink dust, but you're not going to be impaled with communications antennae or anything like that. And it's very desolate and very red. And for the most part, compared to Earth at least, quite monotonous. And so it'll be interesting to see what kind of impact that has on the human psyche. It's so different from the the vibrant sensory experience that we have living here on Earth. A little fun fact there about why Mars is red. It's essentially rust. Right. So that's why it's red. But imagine like, and it is this dry, arid landscape. Um, yeah. You'd see the Earth the same size as a star in the night sky. You'd see the same stars, though, as you see on Earth, so there'd be some familiarity. You'd see these these two tiny moons called Phobos and Deimos, which are teeny tiny. We, we think they're um, captured asteroids, and you'd just be on this dry, arid, red, rocky world and, and so far away from Earth. I mean, it's a, it's a hugely challenging mm. thing to be that far away, um, but... It is science fiction in reality. It's just, it's something we couldn't have imagined. And it's exciting. And the pictures are incredible yeah. that we get back from Mars at the moment. And as the guy in the package earlier said, um, and presumably you'd go along with us, Sarah, it's vital for the sustainability of the species long term then as well. I, I wouldn't buy that uh, totally. I'd, I'd buy some of that. I think we do need to spread out the safety numbers, look what happened to the, the dinosaurs, so to speak. Yeah. Um, I'd go back to the argument, everything we do in space is for Earth. The vast majority of what we do in space is for Earth, but we still want to spread out. And, and there's one kind of analogy um, which does touch on that, and that is imagine, you know, instead of there being 7 billion humans, imagine a solar system where there's 70 billion humans. Yeah. There's more of us. We populate other planets. How many more Einsteins? How many more Beethovens? How many more great people who could do great things for humanity yeah. could there be? Of course, you could say, flip that aside and look at it more negatively, but you've got to hope that because space exploration forces us to work together and, and to realize we're all from the same place, that we'll be, we will become better people as we spread out into the cosmos. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. 
So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash spoken today. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. The earth is becoming too small for us. Our physical resources are being drained at an alarming rate. We have given our planet a disastrous gift of climate change. Spreading out may be the only thing that saves us from ourselves. I am convinced that humans need to leave Earth. The first person to walk on Mars is currently a school-aged child. Our Mars walkers are already among us. First person to walk on Mars alive today. Is that person already born? Is it a five-year-old child? No, I think up? I think so. I've said that in many speeches for 50 years. <laughs> Whereas in the past, space exploration was solely about governments, now entrepreneurs are also looking to the stars. I went to the NASA website to, to say to, to find out when we're going to Mars. <laughs> it seems like obviously that is the next thing after the moon. And one in particular has his sights set on the red planet. I mean, the long-term aspiration is to develop the technologies necessary to transport a large number of people and cargo to, to Mars in order to create a self-sustaining civilization there. Elon Musk wants to see humans on Mars within the decade. His company SpaceX is already testing an ambitious spacecraft known as Starship to do just that. Ladies and gentlemen, we are just weeks away from the SpaceX Starship Super Heavy actually being ready to go to space. This orbital test flight promises to be one of the most significant events in aerospace history. Not only will it be the most powerful rocket ever launched, but it will also be the most ambitious spaceflight in decades. And he is not alone in his ambitions. From NASA to the Chinese Space Agency, people are looking at how we can get humans to Mars. Spreading out into space will completely change the future of humanity. It may also determine whether we have any future at all. This combination of governments and private companies is driving forward space exploration like never before, working to solve the many challenges we face in getting humans to the red planet. Mars is the next most obvious site, and we could reach it in 50 years. In the words of moonwalker Buzz Aldrin, it's time to... Get your ass to Mars. That's the message. So now, I mean, in the next few decades really is time for Mars, but it's not going to happen in the way that we might have thought um, 30, 40, 50 years ago. It's more of a case of we went to Earth orbit. We learned how to spend sustained amounts of time living in orbit around the Earth. The next step is to return to the moon. And once human beings have been to the moon, that's kind of that test bed because the moon's only three days away. And then once we've cracked that, it's onward to Mars. So Mar the moon is really a stepping stone to get human beings to Mars. But because... It's not no longer just about a couple of countries now. Um, it's about 
many, many countries, many nations and many private companies. There, there are so many private companies in space exploration right now. You, you hear about the SpaceX's and the Blue Origin, but there's so many more companies. And, and once we, as we talked about previously in the reusable rocket episode, once we crack getting to space, we make that lower cost, we make that easier. It's then kind of like a, a knock-on effect. And it's happening now because we've got the, the culmination of so many different factors. And it's just so exciting to think that potentially within our lifetime, we could look up at Mars and, and see someone make that six-month journey across the solar system, land on the surface of Mars where there's less gravity on Mars and then they'd take a while to get used to it having been weightless for six months and then walk down that ladder and in, in near real time, of course, it'd be a seven-minute delay, speak the first words on another yeah. planet and, and then sit, you know, take in that, that dry Martian landscape and, and just know that human beings are no longer confined to one planet and we're stepping out into the cosmos and we're beginning to find out what is out there and that we're just scratching the surface. It is so exciting to think that's within our reach right now and it's all these things which are happening right now which is enabling this to happen. So a lot of years and timeframes have been banded around in this episode alone, let alone just the general discourse around getting to Mars and, and, and this Mars visit. Like Elon Musk sort of seems to think that you know, I mean, I've seen reports that it could be 2024, 2025. It's hard to know what parts of that are kind of, you know, cynically trying to raise the PR and the awareness and get people excited and generate further interest and the whole thing becomes a self-licking lollipop and some other more sort of sober science. Did you just say self-licking lollipop? Yeah. I'm going to use that. <laughs> <laughs> and then some other more sober science, not that Elon Musk isn't this, but sober science people are saying, well, look, it's probably going to be 30, 40, 50 years, whatever. If, if they're saying now... With a certain amount of self-deprecation, oh, the first person to walk on Mars is currently a school-aged child, that implies what? Unless we're sending school kids up into to Mars, that implies 10, 15, 20 years, right? So what, what's your opinion on how long it will take? Um, I would say the first person to walk, as I do say, um, the first person to walk on Mars is likely a school-aged child. Like, in my opinion, I don't think we can actually put a date on it. I, I would personally say 20 to 30 years, but... Right. So much is happening, so much innovation, so much money. People are working, dedicating their lives to this that I, I just wouldn't be surprised if it happened sooner. I want it to happen sooner. And and what I'm trying to say is that we're getting there, but actually the biggest hurdle is us. It is the, you know, the radiation on the way to Mars. We've got we're looking at ways of having water to use that as a way water around the spacecraft to actually protect us from the radiation. And then the so many other challenges of being human and, and Andy Aldrin explains this very well about the, the hurdles that we face on a mission to Mars. The biggest challenges, um, interestingly, are, are probably psychological. I mean, we, I, I think to be sure, medical and psychological challenges are huge because um, you're going to be in deep space for a pretty extended period of time. I mean, best case you're looking at 100 days to get there. And then you're going to be on Mars, and you're going to be on Mars for about two years. And um, there are huge challenges with radiation, huge challenges with just feeding yourself. And as I mentioned earlier, um, you know, when you go to the moon, well, when you go to low Earth orbit, you can be back on the ground within a few hours. When you go to the moon, you can be back within a few days, three or four days. When you go to Mars, depending on where you are, on Mars in relationship to the Earth, it could be two years before you could get home. And so the challenges are going to be, how do you ensure that you can keep people absolutely safe on Mars uh, for two years? Safe and sane. And I really do think that 
um, the psychological challenges are going to be a huge. I mean, Elon Musk, to, to reference him again, has his kind of way of dealing with a lot of these psychological things are he's not just talking about a Mars visit, right? He's talking about a permanent colony on Mars. He's saying things like, we need a thousand ships. We need ultimately a million people to get into a civilization where you haven't got to rely on Earth for materials or for support or whatever. And that's how he says that we can go over to Mars and, and do that and, and overcome some of these psychological barriers. It seems clear to me, though, that in the near future, the first people to go there, because obviously you're not going to send a million people at once, the first people to go there, they are going to have to deal with these issues, right? Well, yeah, this is a huge thing. Imagine if uh, the size of this studio, so what, how many metres is it across? Like, I think it's three by three. Three by three. Yeah. Um, and imagine, you know, because obviously you're in space, maybe three times the size of this studio, you and I and everyone who works at Stack. Yeah. For about three years. Hell. Yeah. 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 And they're the only people you'll see. So it's, yeah. we've been trying to test on Earth. So we've done simulations. I know the Russians have done simulations where they've locked people up in, in mock spacecraft to see how they interact with each other. They go for married years. couples and like family members and friends who aren't they looking to focus on those kind of people? I think that's just more of the Mars one thing. These have been, you know, simulation, analog astronauts, so to speak. Then you've got in Antarctica where they're actually, you know, because when. Antarctica's in winter, you can't fly in and out. So you'll have a doctor on base, you'll have a couple yeah. of other people who are stuck there. Yeah. And they're actually working to um, use computer technology uh, to analyse how you're feeling, feeling psychologically because you've got the absence of daylight, you're locked in with the same people, it's obviously harsh conditions outside and they can, mm. well, they're trying to work out how they can tell by your voice how you're feeling. So you might say you're feeling fine, but you might be feeling depressed and it is psychological needs and you think about COVID how we all coped with lockdown and being yeah. locked up imagine that but much mm. much worse so it's about finding the right type of person when you go back to the space race and, and the Apollo missions um, they're all alpha males they're all pilots they all came from a military background and that fitted the need because it was for all intents and purposes a risky military mission but it's going to be very very different so we might find the categories that we search for, the, the skill sets we search for in the future Mars walkers will be very, very different. And you, and you see a lot of people saying, I would like to go to Mars. Mm. But in reality, to, to know that you could never come back potentially, mm. to know that you would see the Earth getting so tiny out of your window, that is a mm. huge, huge thing to go through. To know that you could never come back and see the green grass and the ocean mm. and, and smell Earth. like The International Space Station stinks. Right, right. <laughs> imagine because they don't really wash that much they wear the same clothes so imagine how much it's going to smell yeah. on this spacecraft they need well. to overcome that as well but look, that, a few of the bits and pieces being mentioned here are kind of another reason why Mars is probably a good candidate right because they've got a length of day which is similar to Earth yeah it's very good which, yeah. is, which is good for growing food and they've got a lot of carbon dioxide there which plants can lap up they've got a lot of frozen water uh, at the poles, which hopefully can be used as a resource as well. So there are kind of lots of reasons why it's a good candidate. Yeah, so a Mars, a day on Mars is actually known as a Sol. Um, yeah. So it's just ever so slightly longer by a matter of minutes than a day on Earth. And Mars also has seasons, so it's it's tilt on its axis. It's roughly the same. Of course, it's much colder on Mars, as Dr. Mm. Tanya Harrison explained. Um, so we, we have got similarities, um, and it is the, the most hospitable place. And Dr. Robert Zubrin actually wrote this book, which inspired me, you know, The Case for Mars, talking about how we could potentially one day terraform Mars. Could we change the climate on Mars? We've done a good job of changing our climate yeah. ever so slightly on Earth, but could we do that on Mars? So there's there's all these pie-in-the-sky ideas. Well, not pie-in-the-sky, there's all these old ideas for longer term, but in, in the short term, humans could potentially go there within the next few decades and then come back. I would love it to see a Mars civilization with our lifetime, but, but someone who knows more about this than probably anyone is our Mars expert, Dr. Tanya Harrison. So here she is again. 
I think Martian cities are an inevitability. The question of when really just depends on how much is invested, how quickly. I don't think that we'll see it probably for at least 50 years, but the space industry has changed so much in the last decade that I'm not sure we can really accurately imagine what the space landscape is going to look like in the next decade. That's really interesting, isn't it? Because we talk about the different reasons for Mars, and there are there are more than one. You know, Stephen Hawking will say future of the species. Elon Musk will say, um, you know, this is a one shot deal on Earth at the moment. If anything goes wrong, we're in big trouble. You say, oh, we go over there because we learn more and we can improve here on Earth. There's lots of different reasons for doing it. It's the same with the time frame. Everyone's got their own different idea. When's when we're going to get to Mars? Well, it depends if you're talking about a visit or not. It depends on how yeah. quickly the space technology goes, and it's exploded over the last year. It depends if you want to colonize. It exploded is do. not a good word no, to you, use. Sorry. In space you know what I mean? It's <laughs> vastly improved in frequency over the last year. So there's lots of different areas here where the time frame depends on what you're trying to achieve, and it depends on how quickly people move forward. It's a really exciting time for space, and and once we get to Mars, the universe is open to us as well as potentially answering one of the most profound questions of all time, which is, are we alone? So now we should talk about whether it's fact or fiction. I suspect I know the answer to this, but I think if you ask someone the day after man walked on the moon, are we going to go to Mars, fact or fiction, that they would have said, absolutely fact, we're going to go there, it's the next thing, and it hasn't happened. So maybe it's not quite as straightforward as we think. Well, it hasn't happened, but did we just get the timing wrong? Yeah. I I think with a lot of these things, we thought they were going to happen, but we needed to have this what happened in the 90s we needed to have people who made money on the internet to Mm. enable them to then use that money to benefit space exploration so Mm. things always you know you know when you at an event happens and you can't understand why but then you look back in the future and you think oh well that worked in my favor i just didn't see it at the time um things always happen for a reason which i know is not a scientific answer but Mm. often you find that in life and mars is just around the corner in terms of humans one day getting there and the person who can speak most about this is Andy Aldrin because his dad dedicated his life to going to Mars and the Aldrin family are carrying on his dad's work. This is neither science fiction nor political fantasy. I mean, I think we will get to Mars, but it'll probably be the next big thing after the moon. So it's good enough for an Aldrin, Sarah. It's good enough for me. There we go. Yeah, That's fantastic. Answer, then. Looking forward to that. Um, I don't know when it's going to be, but I feel like I know a bit more about it now. And I'm excited to see when it when it comes to pass. And just imagine one day you can see Mars in the night sky looking up and knowing there are humans there on that dot and and we have made that that first step out into the cosmos. Thank you for listening to today's episode. Now join us next week for the plot of every futuristic space disaster movie. Well almost, as we ask, where's my space mine? Where's My Jetpack is a stack production presented by me, Sarah Credis, and Luke Moore. The production team is Charlie Morgan, Luke Moore, and Sarah Credis. Our sound designer and editor is Tom Wally. Special thanks to today's guests, Dr. Andrew Aldrin, Dr. Robert Zubrin, and Dr. Tanya Harrison. And if you like this show, please subscribe and rate wherever you listen to your podcast. It makes a massive difference. And you can also find us on Twitter at Sarah Crudus and at Luke Aaron Moore. Where's My Jetpack is a Stack production and part of the Acast Creator Network. Acast powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. 
Hi, I'm Jesse Crookshank. Jesse Crookshank. I host the number one comedy podcast called Phone a Friend. Girl. Let's phone a friend. Not only do I break down the biggest stories in pop culture with guests like Dan Levy and members of InSync, I do it with my own personal boy band singing jingles throughout because it's my show. It's your show, girl. New episodes of Phone a Friend. Yeah. Drop Thursdays wherever you get your podcasts. So work it, girl. Yeah, work it. Okay, that's enough. Acast helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. Acast.com.